Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is Matthew 6, 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must be not like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Please be seated. Thank you so much for joining us on the cusp of a finished year and the beginning of another. I'm very grateful for those who make the effort to join us as we gather as a family of families. Uh, One of the desires that I have this morning in the season that I am in is simply celebrating and enjoying the relationship that I have with God. And as we look forward to 2024, my desire is that we would deepen our, our own fellowship with God through prayer by increasing our knowledge of Him. Praying to God is part of our fellowship with God. So when we pray, we are fellowshipping with God. And prayer void of right content, if we're not praying with right content, it is empty, impotent, and vain. Uh, Prayer is not powerful in itself, but God awakens in us himself is the power of prayer. When I'm praying, I'm in the presence of God. I'm always in the presence of God, but prayer acknowledges that presence. Thus, the act of praying itself is of no benefit for even the unbeliever prays. But prayer guided by right content deepens one's fellowship with God. So, We are going to look at the Lord's Prayer, what is called the Lord's Prayer, and that informs us. It gives us what is a true and biblical content, and that content enables us in our fellowship with God. And thus, the confessional nature of the Lord's Prayer is how we can deepen our fellowship with God even as we increase our knowledge of God. Now, I've got a a bad habit. I've got several bad habits, but one of the bad habits I have is that I go to Culver's once or twice a week. And when I go to Culver's once or twice a week, I have to make a choice. I'm either going to go with a butter burger or I'm going to go with a salad. Now, you can realize where the temptation lies, correct? Eating that salad is very, very small, but the butter burger appeals to me, that cheese butter burger. And I typically get a kid's meal because you get all of the thrill at a lower cost. The French fries, the drink, and a loaded burger. The problem with the kid's meal is that you get a free ice cream. Nine times out of ten, when I eat the ice cream, it does bad things in my stomach. 
But I typically yield to the temptation and eat the ice cream, believing that this time it's going to be different. The one, the butter burger, French fries, and I love mayonnaise, by the way. French fries with mayonnaise, and I just like five, six packets. It's like, oh, just smear it. I love it. One of those is for a high. We call it comfort food. One is a high. The other one is for health. Unfortunately, I usually go with the high. <laughs> I, I, like, I like my burgers, and I like my French fries. And Culver's has excellent French fries. They also, by the way, do have excellent salads. Once in a while, I do what is right, and I eat the salad. But I love the butter burger. But I have a choice. One is for my high, and one's for my health. And oftentimes, we treat the Christian life in the same way. We have a choice to make. Am I going to do this, and is it going to give me a high, or am I going to do this because it is the right thing to do, and it's healthy? And really, today, we are going to look at the confessional nature of the Lord's Prayer. Most of us, if not all, know the Lord's Prayer. Even if you come from a liturgical background, you have prayed the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We know that. I learned that early on in my life as a Roman Catholic boy. We know the Lord's Prayer, but what is that thing actually doing for us? When we look at it in its context, and I'm, I'm hopefully going to tease that out for us, but we're going to look at the confessional nature of the Lord's Prayer and how it can deepen our fellowship with God even as it increases our knowledge of God. And the Lord's Prayer does that for us. And it is by following this idea that we speak to our spiritual health. There are two big ideas within the text, but I'm going to try to drive that home and make it tighter. But praying to God is part of your fellowship with God. So when you pray, you're fellowshipping with God. Fellowship is a consequence of our justification. But when we pray, and I think right now we are in a place of prayer, I believe that right now God is listening and hearing and seeing all that we are doing. So this is an aspect of what we're doing. We're in fellowship with God right now, but praying to God is part of our fellowship with God. And our knowledge of God deepens our fellowship with him. So the more I know of him, it deepens my fellowship with him. That's one of the reasons why we study scripture. We study various things about God. Why? Because it deepens our fellowship with God. It informs how we pray. And thus, prayer guided by right content, such as the Lord's Prayer, it deepens our fellowship. And if I were to ask you the question, do you want to have a richer, deeper, more intimate relationship with God, your response would probably be yes. I would say, then learn who he is and what he has done, and it will deepen your fellowship with him. And when you pray, pray in, with biblical content like the Lord's Prayer, it deepens your fellowship with God. It enriches your fellowship with God. Not only do I believe that is true based on what the biblical text says, but that has been my experience. And the more I know who God is and what God has done for me, the deeper my relationship, my fellowship with him is. But let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Father, and we will speak to this idea that you are our Father. Our desire in praying is to confess our absolute dependency on you. In your absence, there is nothing but emptiness and without you, we can do nothing. Thus, thus we pray. 
We pray confessing our own intrinsic unworthiness and you as the only one worthy of such attention and affection. Guide us in our reading of your words. May the Spirit use them to act mightily in our behalf. May it awaken us to what we have in Christ. We come as a people who are humbled by our humanity before the God who creates. We are not you. And like the disciples of Jesus, we simply ask you to teach us to pray. May prayer be the longing of our innermost being. May it be a means whereby you become tangible and concrete to us who live in a world of fluctuation and instability. May it ground us, move upon us in a powerful way in the exercising of both our intellect, our volition, and our emotion. We do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to go too deep into the rabbit hole, but I'm wanting us to understand the structure or the larger context of the Lord's Prayer. And again, most of us know the Lord's Prayer, and we could perhaps recite it by heart. But the Lord's Prayer is part of a larger section. Matthew's Gospel is trying to convince us that Jesus Christ is the Jewish Messiah, the one that they have been looking for, that the Scriptures prophesy of. The Gospel of Matthew is divided into seven sections. Each of the seven sections ends with a teaching paragraph. And the paragraph could be three chapters, such as what we have in Matthew 5 through 7. But Matthew 1 through 7, and I I know you're still with me, it's still early. Matthew 1 through 7 is one of the sections. 5 through 7 is the teaching section. And within those, you you have a summation of what Christ taught as he went from village to village. So as Christ traveled, he repeated the content of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He didn't repeat the content like we read it, but those sections are what he said to his audience. So when we read the Lord's Prayer and when his disciples asked him, teach us to pray, this is what he taught them. And he taught this often. And because it's preserved for us, he is teaching us how to pray. What are we to pull from the Lord's Prayer as it relates to us praying. That, that sounded smart, so I trust you heard it. But we're supposed to get something from this. So in Matthew chapter 5, you have this idea, you have heard it said, but I say. And, and that's what happens. We talked about the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, and we think, well, I keep the Ten Commandments, but Jesus ruins it by saying that if you even think about breaking one of the Ten Commandments, you broke it. And you're like, oh, there's no possible way that I can keep the Ten Commandments. And that's the fact of the matter. That's why he says in Matthew 5, 48, be ye perfect like your Father who is in heaven is perfect. Well, you can't be perfect. But the only way you can be perfect is with the imputed righteousness of Christ. So we celebrate that. But chapter 5, you have heard it said, but I say Jesus Christ is bringing the fulfillment of the law. Chapter 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. He gives four categories. We'll note those in just a moment. And then chapter 7, beware of false prophets. You will recognize them by their fruit. Now, when you narrow it down to chapter 6, chapter 6, the warning is practice, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. The four righteous categories are in giving, in praying, in fasting, in the accumulation of wealth. When you do those things, don't do it to be noticed. Do it in your fellowship with him, in your relationship with him. And then it says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
one of the areas that we do privately is pray. And so we will narrow it down on prayer. But practice these things in private. Do these things in private. And why should we trust God in all of this? Because God is going to take care of his own. So when you look at all of this, chapters 1 through 7, we have the identity of Jesus. That section ends with a teaching section. The teaching section is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. That Sermon on the Mount is made up in our Bible of three chapters. In chapter 6, you have these four practices, giving, praying, fasting, and the accumulation of wealth. When you do those things, do them in private. Don't do them to be seen or heard of others. Why? Trust God. He'll take care of you. Just do it. When you narrow it then to our section, chapter 6, 5 through 15, there's an interesting contrast taking place that we need to see before we jump into the passage. You have contrasts, and if you have your Bible and you, you see this, or you can read it, this will, this will help immensely. But first of all, there's a contrast initially in public recognition. In chapter 5, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. A negative, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, the contrast, the positive, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. So you have this contrast taking place. Don't be like this. Be like this. That's the first contrast. And then 7 and 8. Notice verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Don't simply mumble phrases thinking that in the proliferation or the pronouncing of the phrases that somehow some magical incantation is taking place. For they think that they will be heard for their many words, like the prophets of Baal when they confronted Elijah. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Rather than be like them, here's how you should pray. Pray like this. And then we have what we have called the Lord's Prayer. Now, when we get to this section, the Lord's Prayer, 9 through 13, there are two things that we have to recognize about the prayer. The first is it's a confession of faith. So when I read the Lord's Prayer, it is a confession of faith. How does the Lord's Prayer begin? We begin with our... If he is your father, what does that make you? His child. I, I grew up reciting the Lord's Prayer. I would say, our Father who is in heaven, holy be your name. But I had no concept of the relationship that existed between God and myself. Are you with me on that? So when you and I pray that prayer, it is a confession of faith. We are saying, God is our Father. So it's a confession of faith. That whole prayer should be read that way. And, and I'll talk about that. But when, it's, when we say in community, our Father, I say in private, my Father, who is in heaven, holy be your name. There's a relationship that exists between God and me. That's how intense it is. But it's confession. It's a confession. Don't just read the prayer. Read it as a confession of faith. The second thing, the way you view the prayer, is that it's, a, it's giving you distinct affirmations and requests. Distinct affirmations and requests. 
When we say our Father, we are speaking of a relationship that we have with Him. And we know from the book of Hebrews, it's through Christ. Our Father who is in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That prayer tells us what we should pray for. We should pray for our daily needs. We'll expand on all this in just a moment. But when I pray the prayer, when I look at the content of Matthew 6, I pray it as a confession of faith. I am affirming that what the prayer says is indeed true. It also guides me in my petition. What should I be praying for? I should be praying for my daily needs. And if I were to ask you, do you have daily needs? Your response would be, well, absolutely. If you don't, you need to wake up because you do. So it gives us a guideline as to the requests or petitions that we make when speaking to God. And prayer guided by right content deepens one's fellowship, our fellowship with God. So when I pray the Lord's Prayer, or when I think on the Lord's Prayer, I am in fellowship with God. I am praying to God. And my relationship with Him is being deepened. And we we often speak of the Lord's Prayer. It's not as if it's a prayer we simply recite without thinking on its content, and that's what we're needing to do, but that's what I want to explain. And there are seven ideas or truth claims inside the Lord's Prayer that I would encourage you to consider in looking at this idea. But let's begin with our Father. Our Father in heaven. The God to whom we pray is a paternal God. He's a pastoral God. We often think of Psalm 23 when it says, The Lord is my... He's not my taskmaster. He's my shepherd. He's pastoral. He's a paternal God. He's a father God. He cares for us, thus we can call him Abba. We've noted from our Old Testament text, the Old Testament speaks of God as the father of the nation. It speaks of him as, as the one of, uh, to whom his people are, in a sense, obligated, or who, who he owns. So when it says God is our father, that's a big deal. And we can call God father. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says, Since we have a great high priest. In Romans 8, 15, as well as Galatians 4, 6, it says, You have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So when you pray, you say, Dear God or our Father, you're acknowledging that God is your Father and you are His child. And I think that's an incredibly big deal. And prayer guided by true content deepens our fellowship with Him. The second thing we see inside the prayer is, Our Father in heaven, holy be your name. Holy be your name. The God to whom we pray is a preeminent God. He is transcendent. That means he is above us. I don't pray to you. I pray to him. I ask him. He is preeminent. He is transcendent. He's above all things created. He has first place in our choices. It is always about his name. It's about his will. It's about his kingdom. It's not about my name. It's not about my will. It's not about my kingdom. 
In Luke 22, when Jesus was tempted in the Garden of Gethsemane, you'll remember the prayer he prayed. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. That's what prayer affirms. That's what prayer acknowledges. Father, your name is transcendent. You are preeminent. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not mine, but yours. So regardless of what we pray, regardless of what we ask for, we are always submitting ourselves to his will, his kingdom, not ours. When we pray guided by right content, we deepen our fellowship with him. I fellowship with God, submitting myself to him. And it continues, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The God to whom we pray is a promising God. He fulfills his word to us. He said that one day the earth will be covered with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. That's what this prayer is acknowledging. One day, heaven and earth will be merged. And his will on earth will be done just as it is in heaven. I long for that day. I'm very glad for the life that I have, but it's still a broken life. It's still a heart-wrenching life. One day, all of that will be completely removed. And one day, all there will be is God's will flawlessly carried out in every area. What he had inaugurated in the garden of Genesis 1 and 2, he will consummate and bring to an end in the garden in Revelation 21 and 22. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. God will fulfill all of his promises. There is a certainty and confidence for us in praying the promises of God. Prayer petitions God for what is true in his revealed will. I can pray that his will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven because that's what God has promised will come to pass. So when I acknowledge that he's my father, when I acknowledge that his name is set apart and holy, that he is transcendent, and when I pray that his will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven, those are prayers I can pray with confidence because that is his revealed will. That is what will happen. And that's why the Lord's Prayer is such a powerful prayer. It prays along the path of his revealed will. When I pray, I am crying out in dependency upon him. It is a statement of abandonment. God, it is your will, not mine. It is your name, not mine. It is your kingdom, not mine. And I often recite the Lord's Prayer and I pray it with purpose and meaning in my own life. When I wake up at night, I pray the Lord's Prayer. When I wake up in the morning, I pray the Lord's Prayer. Not empty, I I pray it with meaning. I am using it as a confession. We are casting ourselves on God's wisdom, on God's love. And when we know that his will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven, it provides stability and instability in the midst of our turmoil. And when we pray guided by right content, it deepens our fellowship with God. That's the God to whom we pray. Then in verse 11, it says, Give us this day our daily bread. The God to whom we pray is a providing God. He meets our daily needs. What do I like? I like to know what tomorrow holds, next week, next month, next year. I'd like to think I have enough in reserve that I really don't need to pray for my daily needs. But what does God want us to do? Pray for our daily needs. 
because every day we have need. And we can be assured by Scripture that God will supply our needs. The Good Shepherd causes me not to want. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, inside of this Sermon on the Mount, it's, it says, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Can you trust God right now for your daily needs? And the answer is yes. Why? Because he is a loving father. He is too wise to make a mistake and too loving to be unkind. That's who our God is. Although our present circumstances can be uncertain and therefore create within us an anxiety about the future, we can pray to our God who provides our daily bread. He is faithful. We can rest in today without worrying about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow will take care of itself. Prayer guided by right content deepens our fellowship with him. That's why we learn him. It deepens our fellowship with him. This prayer goes on by saying, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Verses 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses, which is somewhat of an awkward way of saying, if you've been forgiven, what do you do? You forgive. We see that. But the God that we pray to is a pardoning God. He forgives us, thus we can forgive others. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If we look at Matthew 6, and then we compare it with Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, the parable of the unforgiving servant, the one was forgiven but refuses to forgive, he then showed that he wasn't truly receiving the forgiveness he got and received. He did not pass it on. Forgiveness is a choice. It is not a feeling. A feeling of forgiveness can come as a consequence, but the feeling is not the cause. If you say to someone, I just cannot forgive them, well, yes, you can. It doesn't mean you feel like it, because forgiveness is an act of your volition. Because God forgave you, you can forgive others. The feeling is not the cause. God forgives because of Calvary, and we do the same regardless of how we might feel about an individual. So we forgive them. And God says, forgive them. But the God to whom we pray, our Father, is a pardoning God. He forgives us of our sins, and thus we in turn can forgive others. Thus we allow right content seen in the Lord's Prayer to guide us and deepen our fellowship with Him. I like the next statement within the prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from this evil. The God to whom we pray is a protecting God. I, I always found uh, the prayer interesting because it's identifying that God is leading us into temptation, and we struggle with that. Lead us not into this temptation, but what? Deliver us from this evil, this temptation. God is the God of providence. History is his story. God orders our lives in such a way as to bring him glory and is for our good. I could read Genesis 50, verse 20, the story of Joseph, or the story of Job in chapter 
1, verses 20 through 22, or Luke 22, verse 40, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Or 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape also. But when we pray to God, we pray to him as our father. We pray to a God who is transcendent, he is preeminent, he is above. Holy be your name, your kingdom, your will. We pray to a God who will fulfill his promises. One day his will will be done on earth even as it is done in heaven. We pray to a God who provides for our daily needs. We pray to a God who pardons us of our sins. We pray to a God who protects us from evil. This prayer informs us of who God is and what God does. When we think of God leading us into temptation and delivering us from the evil, we enter into a great mystery. We can enter into the mystery knowing that God is in control and he is exercising oversight in all areas. And thus we pray. Those hardships in your life, God oversees. The struggles, the temptations, God oversees. And we pray to him, deliver us from this evil. Prayer guided by right content deepens our fellowship with God, our understanding of who God is. This is what God does. And I find it interesting, and we don't have it in our ESV Bible, but I will comment on it, simply because I think theologically and practically it is appropriate. But at the end of verse 13, it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And if you have a New American Standard Bible or a King James Bible, there is a manuscript discrepancy in verse 13. The King James and the NASB read, For thine is the power of the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Whereas the ESV Bible does not have that statement in it. But it's a manuscript issue. For yours is the kingdom. And I think theologically and I think practically it is appropriate to have that addition. And I've included it here in our study for that reason. For yours is. So there's this prayer prayed. And I, and I would encourage you, if you've memorized the Lord's Prayer, to really begin thinking about the content of the prayer. Our Father, we're speaking to God as our Father. Holy is your name. We're acknowledging that he is transcendent, that he is preeminent. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not mine, but yours. What God has promised will indeed come to pass. Give me this day my daily bread. This day. Not tomorrow, not next week, but this day. He is a providing God. Pardon me of my sin. Cause me to see myself as a pardoned sinner so that I likewise might extend forgiveness. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from this evil. Can God do what, what he has invited us to ask? Can God do this? Well, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. All the resources are leveraged, are at his disposal to answer those prayers. God can do this. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays a lofty prayer. Because he knows who God is, he concludes with the statement in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. God has everything at his disposal, and he can do everything that is listed in the Lord's Prayer. He can provide for your daily needs. He is a forgiving God, and you can forgive others. 
He can protect you and lead you from all evil. And why can he do this? Because his is the glory, the power, forever and ever. Amen. God can do this. Paul affirms and recognizes that God's resources far exceed his request. So what are you asking God for? What are you asking God for? Do you believe that God can? And I would say, well, I know what God can do. I just don't know if God, what God will do, right? But what is he asking us to do in our petition? He's asking us to trust him. And what have we prayed? We have prayed that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can we submit ourselves to his kingdom and to his will? That's what the prayer invites us to do. We can ask him to provide for our daily needs. We can ask for enablement and forgiving other people. We can ask that he would lead us from all evil. We can ask that. We ask a host of things. And then we're simply trusting God to do his will. That will might be different than what we're willing. But we submit ourselves to that will. And we pray. I pray for people all the time who have terminal illnesses. And I pray that God will raise them up, that God will remove the illness, that God will immediately resolve the problem. I pray that because I know what God can do. And can God do that? Absolutely. I pray believing. I just don't know what God will do. But I'm going to trust God regardless. I'm going to submit myself to God's kingdom and to God's will even as I pray to him about very, very difficult situations. But when prayer is guided by true content, it deepens my fellowship with him. We talk about fellowship. Well, fellowship is deepened by having a right understanding of who God is. And when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, this is what he told them. Thus, that prayer deepens my understanding of him and whereby it deepens my fellowship with him. Prayer guided by right content deepens our fellowship with him. And I would encourage you, look at Matthew 6, take the Lord's Prayer, and simply look at it based on what we've just heard, and allow it to shape how you pray. Allow it to deepen your fellowship with God, even as it increases your understanding of God. So what's next? What do we do with this? Well, first of all, do you understand how prayer and praying merge heaven and earth? When I, I had Revelation 5 read intentionally. It describes Christ on a throne. And then I had Hebrews 4 read intentionally. So let us draw near to that throne. And we can come with boldness. We can ask for help in our time of need. That's the one whom we address but do you understand how prayer and praying merge heaven and earth? We think he's up there, we're down here. No, those, those realms merge. And prayer is one of those moments when heaven and earth collide. Do you pray for his will to be done? Do you pray for his will to be done or yours? All of us have prayed passionate prayers. We have appealed to God. We don't know what God will do, but we know what God can do. And God can do that. 
but it doesn't appear as if he is. Can I trust him when it appears as if he isn't? Yes, I can. What other choice do I have? He either is or I am. What are you anxious about? How does the Lord's Prayer address your anxiety? I think we can pray about everything. I think we can pray about everything. I think God is part of the minutia. I, I pray for things that are very serious. They are life and death. But I also pray for the most mundane things in all the world. We had a new refrigerator. We just purchased a new refrigerator for our home. And, and I, I have certain uh, habits where everything has got to be symmetric. So I had to buy a package. You know, I just couldn't patch it had to be a package. It had to be the same name brand on all the appliances. So we get this refrigerator, and our refrigerator is like this, okay? And the cabinetry, you know, and it plugged into that hole, and there was all this space around the refrigerator. And the refrigerator we bought was like this. And I took the measurement of the refrigerator, 68 and 7 eighths. I took the measurement of the cabinets, 68 and 7 eighths, and I'm like... <gasps> okay, this is way out of my skill set. And I thought, well, they first brought it, and the guy says, well, it might or might not fit, but if I take it off the truck, it's yours. And I said, well, leave it on the truck. So they take it back. We go in there, we have the conversation. Okay, the guy's telling us it's going to fit. And if it doesn't fit, you know, you just have to make it fit. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm praying. Why am I praying? I'm praying that God will either shrink the refrigerator or <laughs> increase the cabinetry, but I'm praying. And it's it, something, something as mundane as that, right? But it's keeping me up at night, man. I'm like, oh, Lord. And I think, well, should I cut off the cabinetry before I get the refrigerator so it's not a problem at all? Or should I just wait till the thing's delivered, see if it fits? And if it does, whoo, okay, great. So they're installing, and they're doing a great job of installing the dishwasher, you know, and then the stove just slides right in. And then here comes the refrigerator, you know. And, and I mean, it's crazy, right, that you're this anxious about a refrigerator fitting in your kitchen, right? It's mundane. Big picture, it's irrelevant, but it, it bothered me. So I'm praying, and I'm like, Lord, do something here, you know. And the guy comes, and he pushes it in, and it, it's... Just almost scraping, but it fits. Okay? And I go, yeah! And I, I run up to him like this. You know, he's a big guy. And I run up to him like this. Like, I, like give me a high five. And the guy's like, <laughs> he's just petrified. He's like, what's going on, man? It's just a refrigerator. And I said, man, I can't, I can't tell you how anxious I was about this and how much prayer I poured into getting that refrigerator in that cabinet without me cutting the bottom of the cabinet. Did God answer my prayer? I would say, well, they being anxious work because it fit. <laughs> but something as simple as that. Does God care? I think so. Now, whether he did or didn't answer that prayer, I gave him all the glory, and I told the guy, I said, you can't imagine how much I prayed over that thing fitting in that cabinet. But now there's no space. <laughs> that thing's like... It's all I needed. But what are you anxious about? And how does the Lord's Prayer speak to your anxiety? What if you cannot trust God for this moment? 
and those you cannot see, then to what or to whom are you going to turn? If you can't trust God, then who can you trust? God is able to leverage all of creation in his care for you. That's what I think is incredibly awesome. Now to him who is able to do far more, exceedingly abundantly above all that you could possibly ask or think. God is able, and I have seen God deliver in multiple situations where all hope appeared to be lost and God showed up. God is able to leverage all of creation in his care for you and let this knowledge of God deepen your fellowship with God. God is always too wise to make a mistake and he is always too loving to be unkind. That's what the Lord's Prayer tells us. Thus, as we look forward into 2024, let this knowledge of God deepen our fellowship with God. Please stand with me as we close in prayer. Father, we are the product of your creative power and of your will, and thus we humbly bow before you. In our confessions, we worship you. As we read through the Lord's Prayer, we see it as a confession of faith, and we we worship you through that. We give you glory by our confession. And Father, may our worship be no less than the accurate understanding of who you are in your person and work. But may it always be more. Move upon us so that our very lives in this horizontal world reveal Christ. May our understanding of who you are and what you do impact us in our adoration of all you have done and revealed in Christ. May we look forward to conversing, to prayer, to fellowship. May we see our increase in knowledge of who you are and what you have done, a way to celebrate in our fellowship with you. Guide us throughout this day and in the days to come. We do pray in Jesus' name, amen.